Welcome to Tech Travels, hosted by the seasoned tech enthusiast and industry expert, Steve Woodard. With over 25 years of experience and a track record of collaborating with the brightest minds in technology, Steve is your seasoned guide through the ever-evolving world of innovation. Join us as we embark on an insightful journey exploring the past, present, and future of tech under Steve's expert guidance. Hey there, tech enthusiast, and welcome back to another episode of Tech Travels. Get ready to embark on an electrifying journey as we dive deep into the world of emerging technologies with none other than the remarkable Dr. Jane Thomason. Dr. Thomason isn't just a pioneer. She's a force to be reckoned with. Leading with unparalleled expertise and vision, she's at the forefront of revolutionizing industries globally through the power of blockchain and emerging technologies. As chair of the board for Kasai Holdings, founder of the Web3 Institute, and an active member of the World Metaverse Council. Dr. Thomason's influence knows no bounds. Her accolades speak volumes, from being recognized as one of the top 10 most influential thought leaders in blockchain to earning the prestigious title of Web3 Leader of the Year. But Dr. Thomason's impact extends far beyond mere recognition. With a PhD in philosophy from the University of Queensland, and a track record of authoring groundbreaking books on blockchain, Web3, and Metaverse. She's not just shaping the future, she's redefining it. So fasten your seatbelts and brace yourself for an exhilarating conversation that will challenge your perceptions and ignite your passion for the limitless possibilities of tomorrow. So let's welcome Dr. Jane Thomason to the forefront of innovation on Tech Travels. Dr. Thomason, welcome to Tech Travels. Could you introduce yourself to our audience, if you don't mind, just give them a little bit of background on yourself. Yeah. Hi, everyone. It's great to be here with you. Uh, my name is Jane Thomason, and I've been involved in the tech industry relatively recently, only since 2016. I was in healthcare before that. But in that time, I've really become incredibly interested in how new technologies are going to impact our world in the future. So I spend my time researching, speaking, writing about the different technologies that are coming up and how we're going to use them and what are some of the risks about them. So Dr. Thomason, I would love for us to understand a little bit more about Web3 and the metaverse and artificial intelligence. So can you help us kind of start this journey? Where should we begin? Okay, so let, let me start on Metaverse because I think that's easier for people to get their heads around. So so Metaverse is an immersive, always-on environment that you can go into, maybe using headsets but not necessarily using headsets and happy to talk about that if you want to. And you can do a whole lot of things in this immersive environment. So you can meet friends, socialise, you can go to con uh, concerts, but some of the things that people don't realize is that you could also have other experiences like tourism and travel experiences. I'll speak about that in a moment, but also get healthcare services, pharmacy services, receive education. So metaverse is much bigger than simply the games that your kids play. So let me just um, start on the, the travel and tourism because uh, already people are starting to realize that creating virtual replicas of hard to reach tourist environments or monuments that 
really don't need to have 100,000 people a week marching across them is a way that people are going to be able to immerse themselves in that experience, have that experience. So that's great for people who can't go. It's also great for perhaps the elderly or people with disabilities who can't travel, they can have the travel experience. But for people like possibly you and me, Steve, we might be thinking, oh, look, I'd really love to go to the Galapagos Islands, but I'm not sure. This way you can actually have a look, go inside, interact with avatars or virtual humans in that environment, talk about what the place is like, what the hotels are like, what the food is like, and then decide that you do or don't want to have that experience. So that's going to be a huge one. And in terms of, um, you know, the tourism brands, they're going to be able to give people that experience to be able to see it, to pick their rooms, um, and to get a whole lot of information before they come that's not possible at this time. So let me just stop mm -hmm. there. Uh, because once I add on Web3, it adds on a whole lot of other benefits. I'm really eager to dive deeper into the concept of the metaverse and its very unique experience. Currently, we're seeing an array of consumer products hitting the market, things like Oculus and Apple Vision Pro, and they are offering an immersive experience through wearable devices. But I think that this is the only gateway to the metaverse, or are there alternative ways for people to engage with it in their daily lives, perhaps without the need for specialized hardware? Well, I think my own opinion, and not everyone agrees with me, is that those devices like the Oculus and, you know, the Apple Glasses and so forth and Magic Leap, they're going to be for the wealthy. I always like to think about technology as how it becomes accessible to everyone. So I actually believe that, and people are creating these uh augmented reality, immersive experiences using tablets or internet. And that's going to be, and mobile phone. And so that's going to be much more realistic for many people because 60% uh, of the world's population have mobile phones and the majority of people get their internet information from mobile phones anyway. So people are creating those kinds of experiences. But also I was um, excited a couple of weeks ago when I was in Finland um, met a young innovator who's developing uh, augmented reality glasses that are much more like the glasses that we wear that can be assembled yourself for around 20 US dollars. That means any you know student or anyone who doesn't want to spend a lot of money but wants to access the metaverse can get these glasses at some point in the future, assemble them and have them available for that experience. So I think we'll see lots of exciting developments to make it easier and more accessible for people. That's truly remarkable. I mean, making technology accessible at an affordable price could really greatly expand its reach and adoption. And and having it readily available for people to experiment with and explore its uh, possibilities really could lead to some astounding uh, advancements. Um, and this seamlessly transitions me to our next topic. Um, the relationship between Web3 and the metaverse, uh, are they intertwined? Can one exist without the other? Or is being part of Web3 a prerequisite for accessing the metaverse? Or are, are, there, are there alternative pathways? Uh, actually, you can be in both and not the other. So uh, you can be in metaverse without being in Web3. And indeed, 
um, the big techs that are developing metaverse products like Apple, Google, um, Meta and so forth, they're not developing Web3 metaverses, but they're developing, you know, great uh, immersive experiences that people might be keen on having. Um, and similarly in Web3, you can, you can use Web3 and not in an immersive way, simply as a technology that helps you um, create communities and uh, incentivize and exchange and so forth, but it doesn't have to be immersive. So um, what, what I like to believe is that the future of the internet, or some people are calling it the spatial web, is the Web3 metaverse where you're bringing together the affordances of Web3, which is really underpinned by blockchain. And the key feature of that that people need to get their heads around is that it's a decentralized database that allows people to exchange peer-to-peer. And a lot of people I speak to say, well, I can already send money to my auntie. Why do I want to use Web3? Um, And the answer to that is you will be sending money through an intermediary who will be taking some of your money and it won't get directly to your auntie in most cases. Whereas with Web3, you can immediately transfer it to your auntie without an intermediary and at at virtually no cost. And so it's that peer-to-peer transfer, not only of money, but of all forms of value that make Web3 so interesting. Yeah, it is really, truly remarkable. And I'm really eager to dive deeper into the profound impact around blockchain and on Web3. It has been a personal passion of mine for a long time. But before we delve in too deeply, I want to circle back briefly to the metaverse. Uh, One area that I think goes often unnoticed is its intersection with the automotive industry. I I recall that you gave a keynote speech uh, last year at the uh, GI Tech's uh, uh, annual conference. And then on this topic, I think it would be very fascinating to explore the the potential and the future landscape of automotive integration within the metaverse. Yeah, well, that's a very exciting topic, to be honest with you. Um, I was asked to put together a presentation on Web3 and, and you know, the automotive industry. And I found it one of the most fun things that I'd ever put together because there's so much going on. So if if you start, many companies are already having virtual showrooms, for example. So you're able to go into a virtual showroom and have a look at the cars and so forth. But they're also using it so that you can actually, in a gamified way, test drive a car in the metaverse. So you can go into this game-like experience, if you like, and it's often hyper-realistic, and take a car for a drive in a very realistic way. So it's a way of getting consumers involved and giving them the experience of um, of driving the car. But some companies are also using it, um, for example, in, in Asia in particular, some of the car companies are using avatar salespeople because avatars are probably more usual and acceptable in Asia and particularly for the young. So instead of using a human salesperson, they're using um you know, kind of attractive, uh, attractive in a cool sense, avatars to be able to draw young Asians into um, having a look in the virtual showroom at the cars that are on sale. Um, they're also using it as a way to get consumers involved in the design of new vehicles. So they're able to come into a virtual collaboration space, give comments on 
you know, the shape of the car, the texture, the colors and all sorts of things like that. So instead of doing endless focus groups, which is what they would have done in the past, they're able to um, get people in to actually have direct input, you know, looking at a digital twin of the new model of the car. Um, and digital twins are really important in many industries. So a digital twin is a virtual representation of a real object. So in in this case, they can create a, a digital twin of a future prototype of a car and they can test it, they can tweak it, they can change the roof, the doors, make the engine hotter or colder or whatever it is you do with engines before it actually goes into production. So it's not only in the automotive industry, it will be so in many industries, um, including the aviation industry and including um, in the healthcare industry, doctors are using digital twins to prepare for highly complex organizations. Um, I was watching a video a week ago where uh, incredibly complex surgery to separate Siamese twins had been practiced and practiced and practiced using a digital twin um, oh, based on the images of the way these two children were connected. So. Um, sorry, I, I veered away from the automotive industry, but it's super exciting. But also, if you think about things that people are experimenting with, now, if you're in a self-driving car, what are you going to do? Well, you don't need to drive the car anymore. So therefore, the car kind of be can, can become an immersive space where you can do almost anything while you're on the way to wherever it is that you're going. So in summary, there's lots of opportunities and lots of experimentation going on in the automotive industry. Yeah, indeed, it's fascinating. Um, in your discussions with automotive leaders, uh, what challenges do you typically hear that they they have regarding the adoption of such, uh, of such technology? I'm really curious to hear about the experiences and the hurdles they face in, in integrating these type of innovative solutions. Look, I think it's very variable because uh, the ones that are they're actually trying to do it, they tend to have whole innovation teams that that are working on this. They've already made the decision that this is the way that they need to go. There are others that aren't ready to get there yet, so they're much harder to talk to. But I think the ones who've realised that something in this immersive future is going to be important for their industry. Um, are really open to ideas and moving along. I mean, if you if you ask me what are some of the challenges, and there are still challenges, you know, in terms of we've talked about the access with the goggles, um, latency and interoperability can be challenges. Um, and in addition, user acceptability can be challenges. So I think that's going to vary industry by industry and age group by age group. Because if you think about the Gen Zs and the Gen Alphas coming up, they're totally comfortable with being digital. So they'll be totally happy to have these immersive experiences in, you know, many sectors that they're interested in participating in. Yeah, and it, it appears that automakers are gradually starting to embrace more of an agile approach, um, aiming for a user experience tailored um, to the specific desires of their customers. However, I, I think that the challenge really lies in scaling this type of personalized approach. Um, how, do you, uh, how do you really ensure that really widespread implementation meets the diverse needs of the consumer base? Well, I I was impressed, I have to say when I was doing the research for this 
speech about how many of the automotive uh, are already embracing this and, you know, moving in terms of not only experimentation, but actually using it. So I think it's actually one of the industries that's more advanced. Do we observe this trend more predominantly amongst automakers in regions like Asia, where there's more of a focus on rapidly innovating and delivering vehicles uh, according to customer demand? Or is it more prevalent among U.S.-based uh, car companies? Where, where, where do we witness the forefront of innovation in this regard? Well, oh, look, I'm not an expert on the automotive industry, so I don't want to sound like I am. Um, but what what I what I saw, but I want to comment on Asia because I think Asia is a very big and important um, topic in terms of who's going to embrace these kinds of technologies first. Um, in automotive, what what I saw was you know the luxury brands in particular, right across the spectrum, are all working at one level with it. So in terms of you know whether it's the West or the East, I'm not prepared to comment on that, but certainly a lot of activity there. But in terms of embracing technology, I mean, we saw anyway during the pandemic in Asia across a whole variety of industries, absolutely embracement um, of virtual technologies and real comfort with it. Um, we see in uh, gaming, which is one of the biggest industries in the world and is also one of the sort of leading industries that's taking metaverse forward that um, Asia has the largest numbers of gamers and the fastest growth in gaming and the fastest growth in uh, mobile-based gaming. And so I think we're going to see uh, in continuing and, you know, incredible innovation in Asian countries. And we've already seen it, um, you know, in the more advanced ones like China, Japan, uh, Korea and so forth, but we've got to look at India and Indonesia and Vietnam because they're all advancing apace and they don't seem to be as um, stifled by legacy systems that uh, some of our countries do. It seems like there's a gradual curve of adoption with some being trailblazers and others who are very slow to adopt. Um, so just transitioning on the topic of blockchain, which you mentioned earlier, I uh, want to get to get to your experiences with it and how it's evolved significantly in, in the last few years, particularly its growing acceptance into mainstream environments. Now, it initially was associated with gaming. Blockchain has really witnessed the widespread adoption across many enterprises over the last few years. And from your perspective, uh, um, how has this transformation influenced the way that we develop applications to really conduct business? How has it emerged as a significant disruptor in various industries that we see today? Well, I, I want to separate, and, and this is important for the audience, because when you speak about blockchain, most people think you're talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies or digital assets. And I want to set them to one side because that's a different conversation, because what you're talking about is blockchain for industry and for social utility. Um, and so people need to understand that there are multiple different kinds of tokens or digital assets, and they're not all speculative cryptocurrencies. So in terms of industries, um, well, obviously, you know, gaming is one with the Web3 gaming that uh, I personally believe is going to move fast. But in terms of other industries where we're seeing it, um, in banking and finance, they're realizing, particularly in the back office functions with uh, things like settlements and remittances and all sorts of functions like that, that 
you know, banks and financial services are realising that the technology has got some value. Um, in terms of supply chains, this is a, a significant industrial use case because it takes friction out of supply chains, it creates transparency in supply chains, and it's being used across a whole range of industries, um, you know, in terms of supply chains. Um, and it's also being used in healthcare for secure data exchange, for example. But coming back to your point about um, widespread adoption, I think there's two things to be said about that. The first one is from a consumer point of view, widespread adoption will take place when it does something useful for the consumer. So if there's something that I want to achieve and I can do it better, faster, cheaper, easier, with something that's built on a blockchain, I'm probably going to use that. And until that time comes, the consumer adoption is going to be slow. But the other thing that I believe is that in the future, blockchain will be the underpinning infrastructure for a lot of the technology that we use. We won't even know it's there. We won't talk about it. We won't be saying, has it got a blockchain? We'll just be using it because it enables certain functions that are incredibly helpful to many industries. How do we get to a point where we start to have more transparency and trust with blockchain? Um, okay, that's a difficult question because whether that's a question about does blockchain provide transparency and trust? And the answer to that is yes. But is it do people believe that? And the answer to that is probably uh, not everyone. And they're suspicious of it. And they're suspicious of it because of the amount of frauds and scams and similar things that have been perpetrated in the whole crypto digital assets arena. And so immediately I have this experience a lot. I say something about blockchain and people go, oh, Bitcoin, the dark web. I mean, they don't know, but what they do know is that it's bad and it's not to be trusted and it's used for nefarious activities, um, which is partially true, but so is the US dollar. It's not entirely true. Um, as a technology, uh, it's been documented and there's as much evidence as you would like to see about its ability to bring trust and transparency um, into uh, processes and ch exchanges of information and exchanges of value. Right, exactly. But there is a, a certain uh, significant amount of scrutiny, particularly in the U.S., regarding blockchain technology. There's there's definitely some skepticism um, from the governmental bodies uh, around its implications. Uh, it's becoming increasingly evident how really blockchain, you know, is it is revolutionizing things like financial services, no doubt about it. Uh, but the essence lies in it's really its ability to facilitate facilitate the transactions among parties that may not inherently trust each other. And they leverage that by using this distributed ledger technology. But, you know, it, it, despite the misconceptions about blockchains being perceived negatively, it does have practical applications and we are seeing uh, widespread adoption across various enterprises. Look, there's, you know, more than 400 banks are, are either using or experimenting with it. There is absolutely no doubt about it. Um, you know, work's just been done uh, by a colleague of mine and it's going to be considered by the Commonwealth, the British Commonwealth of 54 countries to develop a, uh, a common legal framework for digital assets for Commonwealth countries. I mean, th this is real and it's serious. And I think the challenge, and certainly in the US, 
um, the regulators are, are a little bit schizophrenic about how they want to deal with it. But the other issue is it's not one thing. There's not one regulator, whether it's a commodity or whether it's a security, um, it's going to be regulated in a different way. And this, of course, will... Um, apply in other highly regulated sectors like healthcare, they're going to have to have a look at it in the context of the regulations that exist in that industry. And so part of part of the schizophrenia, if you like, is some of the the bad things that have that have happened on the financial side of blockchain. Um, and I think part of it is that the regulators are just trying to catch up with what it is, what they should be regulating, how to regulate it, and how not to stifle it, because it is an exciting innovation. I mean, it appears that addressing regulations from um, forming a regulatory body for emerging technologies follows a three-wave pattern. So initially, there's a lag as legislators, you know, legislative bodies like Congress grapple with understanding and adapting to the new paradigms. And this was really evident during the Internet's inception, where regulators really were rooted in an outdated telecom type of mentality. And then you see the second wave of that was around social media, and that ushered in a new set of challenges. Since And so now we're now in the midst of the third wave, which is really characterized by the emergence of technologies like metaverse, blockchain, and AI. There needs to be a pressing need for transparency and trust around this regulatory framework. So the question really is, and my, my question is, is should govern, uh, governance be left to the government or should the private industry take the reins? Uh, what are your thoughts on establishing a governing body to ensure ethical use of these technologies in people's everyday lives? Look, I think that's a, that's a massive question. Um, and, you know, some of the elements that we have to think about, because, you know, presumably you're sitting in the U.S. and thinking about the U.S. government, but many of these technologies travel beyond the sovereign state. And so thinking about how to regulate cross-border um, ecosystems that operate uh, across different borders is going to be an issue. How to get people in different parts of the world to be able to agree. I think there is no doubt that the... The system that's been in place for global governance since World War II um, is not fit to be able to regulate the internet and we don't have any kind of um, alternative. And yet we have a world where we have these big tech companies who have economies larger than most countries and yet they're not in the formal governance of anything or been elected by anyone or anything else. So I think we're in a, a bit of a conundrum at the moment between the old world and the new. And I'm not quite sure how uh, some kind of body entity collaboration is going to emerge um, that's going to enable the development of widely accepted policies and standards um, and deal with some of the ethical issues that we have with technology. There are smaller groups all around the world that are working on it and some individual governments and some grouping of governments like the EU is very active, for example, are working on these matters. But there's not going to be one answer. I suspect that there's going to be kind of geographical groupings that all agree to kind of collaborate and have similar rules. Um, but that still doesn't uh, answer the questions about how we call the big text to account. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you raise a, cru a crucial point about the complexities of global collaboration and regulation. Um, I, and I think it's clear that navigating the intersection of technology, ethics, and governance really will require an innovative approach um, and perhaps some sort of regional agreement to, to, to address the unique challenges that each area faces. Now, uh, as for holding big tech companies accountable, look, I mean, it's a multifaceted issue and that really demands careful consideration and collective action. Um, but if we look at how we navigate the global landscape, it really presents it's a, a set of unique challenges, especially when we consider the unprecedented level of connectivity that we experience every day. And we have individuals connecting across the globe, and that basically is pre basically predicting which governments will embrace or resist certain types of technologies uh, as it becomes uncertain. Um, so as an active member of the World Metaverse Council, I'm, I'm really curious to learn more about the initiatives and the advocacy efforts undertaken uh, by the council that, that promote the adoption and acceptance of the metaverse. So could you provide some insights into the council's role and how it contributes to positive change in this very dynamic space? Well, look, I, the the World Metaverse Council basically started, as did a few other groups, in a giant vacuum, um, where we realised that all of these technologies were developing incredibly fast, and there wasn't anywhere to go uh, to be able to talk about standards and policies and ethics and keeping an open metaverse and making sure that people don't come to harm and so forth. So effectively, we formed around the idea of providing, I like to call it a distributed think tank as much as anything, because in this world, there's no one place. You can't go to Stanford and get all the information you need about the metaverse. It's not like that anymore. There's hundreds of uh, scientists and companies all around the world at different levels building all sorts of innovations around metaverse and AI and so forth. So you need to find a place where you can gather this kind of intellectual horsepower from all around the world to to help understand what's going on and to share about what are the impacts of that. So so we have working groups on regulation, for example, healthcare standards, um, open metaverse, different groups like that that are really um, interested people from all around the world who wanted to find a forum to be able to come and speak um, to be able to develop ideas, to actually further develop what they were working on by finding collaborators from elsewhere in the world, and also to produce some um, thought pieces. You know, for example, ethics is a big interest of mine around just what are the ethical concerns um, related to the metaverse. And we we make contributions, for example, to the International Telecommunications Unit who are trying to create global standards for the metaverse. So it's it's really a, a you know a place where people can come. It's not it's not uh, uh, led by government. It's an informal body of interested people from about 150 countries around the world who are all working on different aspects of this. So it's it's actually a wonderful community. But that's what it is. It's a distributed network of people who are working on this. That's incredibly. That's that's very powerful. I'm, I mean, the insights into the collaborative efforts within the Metaverse Council really help shed light on this diverse perspective that's really driving innovation and technology. And, and again, I agree that the emphasis on open dialogue and ethical consideration 
really underscores that importance of global collaboration and and shaping the future of the metaverse and i and i think that that approach really sets a, a promising type of uh, precedent for addressing complex challenges and it really fosters responsible development in this digital landscape it's very very fascinating well the the focus that i that i have for this series is around um education using immersive technologies because, and I'm working with collaborators in Turkey and uh, Bulgaria and the US on this, because effectively, I believe that we're moving into this rapidly changing skills-based economy where people are going to have to be reskilled quite regularly in order to be able to get jobs and keep up to date with what's going on. I don't believe that the traditional education system uh, is going to be able to respond quickly enough and that we we are going to be able to benefit from the immersive technologies and the ability to be able to use data to actually analyze whether people are developing these skills appropriately and so forth to produce highly, highly focused data-driven, curated, skills-based training courses using immersive reality. So um, that's the, the project that I'm really focusing on um, during the this year. Exactly. Uh, education and learning and the development are really uh, critical components of our rapidly evolving uh, technical landscape. Um, the, the pace of innovation really far exceeds what traditional textbooks and educational institutions can keep up with. And many schools lack resources to really teach these type of emerging technologies like artificial intelligence and like blockchain. And often individuals are going to find themselves on a journey of self-discovery and they're going to have to learn, they're going to have to experiment, and they're going to have to immerse themselves in these technologies independently uh, to stay relevant in today's digital age. It, it's really going to be fascinating to see. Well, that, that's what I believe. The other one I, I didn't want to, to fail to mention was, uh, again, working with other collaborators around the world, we're, we're developing a, a women in deep tech uh, network, which in time will become um, an accelerator and a fund. And we're really excited about finding the women all around the world who are working uh, on scientific discovery around deep tech and bringing them together and helping uh, get their discoveries out and funded and scaled. So that's the other thing that I'm working on. Incredible. Dr. Jane, I want to express my sincere gratitude for joining us today and sharing your invaluable insights on blockchain technology and the metaverse. And your experience has truly enriched our conversation. Um, I hope we can continue the dialogue in the future and have you back on the podcast to talk more about the learning aspect and more about the women in technology. Um, and thank you again for your time and expertise. And again, I want to express my deepest gratitude for joining us today on Tech Travels. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on today's show. If you liked this episode, please take a moment to rate the show. And be sure to subscribe to the channel if you would like to be notified when new shows are posted. And if you want to share the show with your friends, please share on your preferred social media platform. I would love your help to bring awareness to this channel. Until next time, as we venture into the future and into the realms of technology, until then, stay curious, stay informed, and happy travels. Thanks so much for listening to the Tech Travels Podcast with Steve Woodard. Please tune in next time and be sure to follow us and subscribe on the Apple Podcast and Spotify platforms. We'll see you next time.